You are listening to Field Hymns on the Foxy Podcast. Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. Show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and the present. And as you heard at the top of the show, we are going to be featuring music from the Field Hems label on this episode, number 30 of the Foxy Podcast. Started in late 2009 by Dylan McConnell. Field Hems is a Portland-based cassette label that has put together an impressive catalog of mostly experimental and electronic-leaning sounds. McConnell is a talented artist in his own right. His music under the names Adderall Canyonly and Oxy Kitten, who we let off the show with a track by, and his graphic design work under the banner Tiny Little Hammers have been central to Field Hems' overall look and sound and his music and graphics have also appeared on several other notable imprints over the past few years. 
We recently had a chance to chat with McConnell about field hymns, his design work, and his music, and we're going to be airing that conversation throughout this show, and we'll be playing a bunch of music from various past, present, and future field hymns releases, along with some additional Adderall Canyonly tracks to close out the show. But before we jump into that interview, let's play another track from the Field Hymns catalog. This is from Andreas Brandahl's Staying is Nowhere tape, and this is a track called Into Something Else.
could you recount for us how Field Him started off? Um, I know some of your first releases and just kind of combing through your catalog really kind of had, I guess, sort of a rock-leaning feel to them from like Portland-based groups. And then at some point it almost seemed as though it was maybe more of an outlet for some of the things that you were involved in. Is that correct? I would say it kind of followed the trajectory, perhaps, of music that I was listening to. I suppose when I started the label, I was still in, well, say like a post-rock sort of vein. I think I'd only bought my first keyboard, this old, crappy, barf-encrusted keyboard. What was it? It was, it was a Yamaha something or other. Maybe a couple of years before, I never even owned a keyboard before. I was always a guitar player. And I suppose in the process of listening to and getting back in the recordings that I love but never really appreciated from, say, uh, the component uh, synth parts, I suppose, mm-hmm. I began to do research to see how these damn things are played. Because I was always a guitar guy. You grew up a guitar guy, like, oh, guitar stuff, ooh, guitar solo, and all that sort <laughs> of crap. It really informs how you approach music, unfortunately, if it's done wrong. And apparently my education was done wrong. Anyway, um, so when I did start the label, I was still, I was still like, band-centric. You know, drums, bass, guitar, bangular, that sort of stuff. And it totally coincided with my infatuation with all things analog and synthetic and synth-driven. So, um, yeah, I suppose you, you're probably listening to me changing the tuning of my ears mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Um, yeah, I never really thought of it that way. And as, yeah, as you can tell now, I'm, I'm hip deep in it and <laughs> still trying to claw my way out of it. Um, but yeah. Well, you know, Portland. You. Uh, well, Portland has been home to a number of great tape labels over the past five plus years, many years. Um, you know, like think of Stunned Records and Eggy and Nar, several others that come to mind. But you know, were you kind of caught up in, in some of that activity that was happening uh, in your own backyard and kind of sort of following uh, the lead of some of those things, or were you much more interested on, on a larger scale? of things that were happening in terms of, like, the tape underground and things like that? I would actually say to answer, neither. Okay. You know, with the occasional, you know, tape I would buy at house shows um, and whatnot. And you know, I've always had tapes. I was never a big, I was never a big tape label guy, you know. I, you know, I was aware of Stun. I had a couple of Stun releases. They had a Hammer, a Hammer of Hathor tape, right? just adored. Um, Eddie was just starting up around then, and I had a mattress um, tape from Eggie that um, was quite excellent. Um, now I was around, but I didn't have any by then. Um, it, it's funny. I mean, I, the reason it, it kind of became a cassette label is that it was, I discovered, you know, through trying to put out my own music. I think it was that first first actually kit tape. But it's such a pain in the ass to home dub cassettes. Oh my god, it was awful. <laughs> you know? I need to do it well, the system I had you had to do it one at a time. 
I think there's only 15 of that release. I was like, screw it, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> so I got an economics of it, and I checked out a national audio company, and I was kind of blown away how cheaply you could get professionally dubbed tapes done for. Uh, the first couple releases of Steel Hymns are actually CDs, and I found out quickly that it's very expensive, and it's not very cost-efficient. You have to buy at least 300 CDs, and it's a lot of ballast in your basement. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I started uh, this, I started to lean towards cassettes probably by, I guess, the third or fourth release. And even then, people, my friends, were like, who the hell listens to cassettes? So apparently I was with the wrong group of people. <laughs> but um, I suppose I was, I was learning as well. But it's kind of like, like coming home from the car lot with a brand new car. All of a sudden, you realize that there's a lot of those cars around that you've never seen them before. And that's, that's kind of how I discovered the, the tape world around Portland. And since I started it, which... Oh, late 2009, 2010. You know, there's been a handful of excellent labels that have sprung up. I mean, there's certainly an upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. There weren't a whole bunch, I believe, um, in 2009 and 2010. I should shut my mouth because there probably were some excellent <laughs> ones that um, I just wasn't aware of. But that my my intent was not to start at that label. Uh, at first, I knew it certainly wasn't going to be a vinyl label. A vinyl label, because I am not rich. Mm-hmm. Do you, would is that something that you would like to do at some point, or is that just you know not like you said it's not cost effective at all to do something like that at this stage? Uh, it's certainly not cost effective being broke <laughs> uh, and not having you know it, it becomes cost effective when you've got capital to invest in it and you have a band that. People will be willing to buy 300. Well, I know you only have to sell 100 records, 200 records, to to make enough money back to make another run. But it's expensive, mm-hmm. thousands of dollars, and you don't want to make any less than 300 because it's almost the same price to make 100 as it is to make 300. But then you've got 200 more albums sitting in your basement. But you know, I've always been a, I was a vinyl collector, still am for the longest, the longest time. I would love to put out vinyl, but. I just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. You know? Famous well, bands come to me, yeah, right now, and then maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe I can make records. I mean, that's the ultimate format, at least from a viewing tactile sort of fashion. You can hold the record in your hand, flip it over, peruse the liner notes. I'm a big fan of that. Mm-hmm. That's the same way, just a little bit smaller scale. Right, right. Well, did when you started Field Hymns. Um, did that sort of coincide with uh, your graphic design work under the Tiny Little Hammers banner? I'm just trying to think when that sort of started up. And then, I mean, have you handled all the design work uh, in-house with the, uh, the stuff that you've been releasing on cassette since, like you said, 2010 or so? Um, uh, no. Um, I guess you can say I went to school for it, though I'm not sure I got much of an education in it. Um, by the time I started the label, I'd already been freelance for probably four years, maybe. So I've been making my bread uh, doing exactly that. Okay, okay. Album covers, posters, the occasional crappy website, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but I certainly it certainly makes it easier doing all the graphics myself. You know, you don't have to wait for the bass player's uncle's girlfriend's best friend next door to show up or to start painting that painting for the cover or whatever, <laughs> you know. Like a, I, I'll say this. If 
if I, if the band comes to me with something that's good, I'm like, damn, done. Um, and in the past, you know, there's been handfuls of uh, of covers that um, the band came up with, but in that case, I I do all the layout still, mm-hmm. and I let them use their art. Um, but I mean, I would prefer to do it myself, you know, because that's that's half the fun. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, honestly, coming from the, the field, sometimes you know, sometimes I make albums just so I can make a cover. <laughs> the music secondary to the cover art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you're like, "Damn, that's a fine cover. What should that cover sound like?" Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one thing in my mind, I sort of associated Field Hems as being more or less uh, an experimental electronic music label. And you kind of uh, alluded to that a, a little bit ago. But in listening back through a good chunk of the catalog, uh, kind of getting ready for this feature show, it occurred to me that, you know, it, it is quite varied, your back catalog. Um, is that something, you know, kind of as you've moved forward or evolved over the last couple of years that, that you've kind of kept in mind to kind of keep things uh, fresh and going in different directions, uh, f- not only for yourself, but for people who check out Field Hem releases? To a certain degree, I would say that, that any small label that is not predicated solely on making money, <laughs> cynically making money, is going to be curated by the person who owns it. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you you can't find, or if you can't, you know, if you can't find the money to ask your favorite band to put out a record with you, you're going to find bands that sound like your favorite band to put out records with you. So, um, I suppose it's eclectic because, you know, it's, my taste is rather eclectic and pretty scattered too. I mean, it's, sometimes it's all over the place from. From you know, from that white glove release, and that which is totally related to the Yes Father release, um, to the far end of the spectrum, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would, yeah, it's it's, to, it's totally varied. I, I I wish I could say that there was an overarching theme, a tangent, um, but no, you're just following me picking through the daisy field. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I don't know what's coming up next. Sure, it yeah. sounds good, and it's not. Too dissimilar, I suppose. I, I guess I too draw the line at extreme dissimilarities. But you know, if I find a black metal album that I really like, I'm going to put it out. <laughs> so one thing I guess not having to hew that line, I suppose, is it makes it a little more relaxed. Mm-hmm. There, there are plenty of, of labels that that I enjoy that do one thing really well. You know, and there are plenty that I enjoy who are just all over the map. Right. So, it's one of the things that you like about running a cassette label is that, you know, the turnaround time to get a release is, is much shorter than like doing a record or something so that you can, you know, within a few months or so, put out a release maybe on, a, on the fly, like something catches your ear and you're like, dang it, I want to get that out there. Is that something that you do, you don't plan out too far through the year? I mean, do you save some room for like that maybe spontaneous release that just something that just floored you? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You try to. I mean, because um, it all comes down to funds too. So if you have a bunch of releases already lined up, it starts to really stifle what's coming in the door, which is kind of a bummer because there really is a sort of a fast 
turnaround environment to cassette worlds. You know, I've had to pass on a couple things uh, recently because we had no money that I really liked. And they're already in production with someone else. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what happens when you, when you stretch out your funds a little bit. You have to, um, you know, and you lose out, but whatever, mm-hmm. you know. I'm going to shine again, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's get into uh, uh, some of the music, some of the things that you put out um, the last couple of years. And I'm going to start off with one of the more recent things that you've done. Uh, it was a tape, came out at the tail end of last year from Mattress, uh, a solo project uh, from a guy out of Portland by the name of uh, Rex Marshall. And uh, kind of, kind of I mean, a little bit different for, I mean, this really dark uh, vibe, kind of a suicide uh, feel to this. Uh, what can you tell us about Mattress? And it, like you said, you had heard some of his stuff that came out on Eggy, I guess, before that, too. Yeah, Rex Marshall. Rex Marshall is a force of nature. People, when Mattress come to your town, let them in your door. Um, yeah. How I, I to describe it? Well, when I first when I first saw Mattress, he, he was just this dude in, like, a Jimmy Swagger preacher suit with a boombox and a microphone hooked up to that boombox, just like screaming and crooning over these super distorted, like, hip-hop beats. Um, and it was pretty stunning. So I, that, that, you know, that always stuck in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we actually met on Craigslist. <laughs> that, that's I a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this one's totally PC. Um, uh, no authorities involved. Um, I was selling a guitar cabinet, and uh, this dude came to check it out. I was like, I didn't say anything at first because, like, I thought that, that's Rex. And finally, at the end of the deal, he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go play this thing tonight." And I was like, "Oh God, don't play it tonight. What happens if it blows up?" And I asked him, "I'm like, well." What do you, uh, where are you playing tonight? And he said, this club. And I was like, hey, I'm going to that club. Are you? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Then come to find out it was exactly that guy. So I think even then, right there, that night, I was like, you should release with us. Yeah, yeah. And he agreed. He's, he's, a, he's a total sweetheart. He's actually, he works in the library system at Portland State University, which is, uh, a career you would not expect from someone who plays music like this. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, but he's also the funniest guy you'll ever meet. I, I have encountered a lot of uh, experimental musicians that work in the world, or in, in the library world. It's a very strange really? <laughs> Yes, I really have. <laughs> it's the ultimate cloaking device. <laughs> But uh, well, let's let's jump into this. This is a beautiful moment from Mattress from his "Fuck the Future" cassette. Sorry for what I 
soundtrack work uh, or, or maybe even like library music seems to be uh, something that might be a fascination of yours. I guess I, I say that just through listening to your own work and as well as some of the artists and things that you've worked with through field hymns. Um, so I was going to ask, do you like this idea of field hymns being sort of a musical library, if you will, like building this catalog that could be used for these like imaginary productions or possible future productions at some sort? Yeah, I mean, that'd be gratifying indeed. Uh, who knows? Um, I feel like, though, that no one's going to pay music for uh, scoring any, any more these days when everyone's got a garage band and, <laughs> yeah. you know, can sample the crap out of the Internet. Um, yeah, you know, but I would say I, I've certainly listened to a lot of library music and, I have a large collection of old synth-driven soundtracks. In fact, I listen to a lot of soundtracks. Dirty secret. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, you, you see the, the direction, uh, a lot of the synth-driven stuff that's, that is on Field Hymns is very soundtracky. I think they're in, it's almost the nature of the instrument itself and the stuff we choose to put out. Mm-hmm. Very sort of sort of out there. Some of it's cosmic, you know. Even for your own sake, as a, just the work that you do, do you like kind of rec- this idea of how library artists worked, where it was kind of this shadowy world where people recording under various aliases that no one really knew who the hell was doing a lot of this, things like that. Do you kind of like the nature of that in terms of just the presentation of the music itself? Yeah, I kind of do because it's not really ego driven mm-hmm. to to a yeah to a to a great degree. You really don't know who does it. I feel like some of the you know, this is a little beef of mine, but I feel like these days and some of the more famous, you know, experimental guys, you always have to get past the, the name first. It's always about, you know, whatever. The Matisse of the Poly Six. I don't know. Um but you're able to to apprehend it just as piece of music with a beautiful cover that you know nothing about, which is actually kind of how I like to appreciate a lot of cassettes in the weird Joni world that seems to lie before us. You really don't know a lot of the time who you're listening to. You trust the the guide of the, of the label, the cassette label, and you just trust that it's going to be good. There's no colored glossy 8x10s. A lot of the time, <laughs> there's a made-up name Sometimes there's nothing, mm-hmm. you know. So you just have to do due diligence, I suppose, to really like it. Part of the hunt, the fun, is tracking down who these these people are. I've always been a big fan of, you know, not telling people who I am. So, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I don't know. Sorry. Hey, the, the mystery. Maybe we're all just following the mystery. Yeah. I certainly am. <laughs> Well, there, um, you know, there has been, of course, a, a pretty big revival in electronic music with people using analog synths and all this vintage equipment and stuff uh, over the past number of years. And it, it, it kind of seems that, I don't know if, if we're reaching a bit of a turning point, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I, I've kind of gotten the impression that with your label, I mean, for a while there was like this, you know, kind of second, third generation of people just writing this uh, like arpeggiator wave of, of music. But with the stuff that you've been putting out, I, there does seem to be uh, 
at least an interest in people who are using these tools to compose something more than just kind of like writing that out. Uh, is that something that's important to you, if at least like uh, the electronic music that you have an interest in? Um, sure, I suppose to a certain degree um, that sort of predictability and repetition does tend to get a little tedious after a while. Um, and I'm not a big club goer, um, you know. So I appreciate it when people do it well. Um, I appreciate it when people do it unpredictably. But there's not a lot of, let's say there's not a whole bunch of sort of minimalist, minimalist sort of rock and beat-driven yeah, arpeggiated sort of stuff on the label. Maybe I've just subconsciously filtered it out. I I certainly don't go looking for it. Um, but you know, sometimes it's like a color or a food that just hits you right. You know, um, I wouldn't want to eat it all the time, but I appreciate it when it's there. Maybe I just haven't got the right release yet. Mm-hmm. But I do agree. I do agree that there was there was seemed to be a glut um, of that sort of stuff going around. Um, where it went, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't go here. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose yes, yes, and maybe no. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you do have some stuff coming up here uh, in the year, or the months ahead, I should say. And uh kind of wanted just to talk about some of these things that you have uh, for Field Hems, and we're actually going to preview uh, some of this forthcoming material, starting with a couple of projects, I think, uh, both uh, stemming from Ohio and Kurt Brown, who I believe does the Rubber City Noise imprint with uh, Black Unicorn. And is he half of Kane Swords as well? Yep, that's true. Okay. So. Um, yeah, those are going to be super stellar. Um, Kurt, another fine fellow from the great state of Ohio. Um, yeah, holding it down. The, the cave, pretty awesome. Um, and yes, indeed, he is part of uh, Rubber City Noise, who has a grip of fine releases. Check them out, folks. Well, let's play something from uh, Black Unicorn right here. This is called Temporal Immensities from his forthcoming release called Traced Landscapes.
Thank you. 
wanted to just talk a little bit about uh, some of your own work um, that you've done uh, both on field hymns and on numerous other cassette labels. Uh, you, you have a project called Adderall Canyonly and another one called Oxy Kitten. And I, I, one thing I just wanted to ask is kind of what, I guess in your mind, what distinguishes these projects from one another? What, what, what separates Oxy Kitten's work from Adderall Canyonly? Uh, when you say those names out loud, they're so dumb. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say probably, probably sense of humor. I suppose, even though that last Oxycontin release um, is kind of got a little bit dark, a little bit off the deep end there. Uh, no fear, it's swinging back towards the darky. Um, I would say Oxycontin too is probably all electronic. Um, that that ad can stuff tends to have more guitar, for more epic sounding, I suppose. Longer songs, more thematic, um, perhaps more album length. Uh, I started making the Oxycontin stuff just because I had gotten into this keyboard world Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of dirty keyboards, and I had a couple of dirty drum machines. And what do you do with them? You put them together. <laughs> you make a dirty cake. So I got really into, I don't know, just the joy of being stupid with happy, cheesy music. You know? <laughs> um, but there always was this darker part that I wanted to do something with. And that kind of that's kind of where the Adderall Canonly stuff was shunted into, I suppose, as I started getting the, the darker range of those instruments and then I suppose amending the missing parts with all the sort of the post punk, post rock world that I had come from, um, that's where that marriage came in. And I get the I guess some of that really can really uh, at all can leak stuff. There was a mix of absurdist stuff and then darker stuff. But I think over over time, the absurd stuff all went towards Oxy Kitten and I guess naturally weeded itself out. Mm-hmm. The stuff that's coming up, um, the Moss Archive stuff that's coming out, um, a couple more releases, it's much... It's much darker. It's like it's like the Rubber City Noise album I put out last year. It's sort of kind of constellation y sounding maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You you're referencing the There's the, not a lot of joy in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you saying the constellation the record label? Is that what you're referencing? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Well, um I I would do air quotes. Maybe I am. <laughs> um but so yeah, I would say probably approach humor. Um, I feel like I feel like it's I feel like everyone should have a chance to be ridiculous with music. Music can be so serious, especially when you when you put your name behind it. You know, you have to do something profound. And I honestly I didn't want to do that, so I hid behind whatever name I made up. I don't even remember anymore. Uh, Bob Cocktoston, I think that. <laughs> Uh, Oxy Kitten. Um, and I just gave it to my friends. 
And then one day I was like, I'm going to make a tape. And then I give it to some people. And lo and behold, my mortgage is paid. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Well, the recent... Hiding behind a couple of names. Yeah, the recent ad can releases, I, I mean, you, it does seem to be that you're moving more towards, I don't want to say songs but there's definitely a song like component to them and i was i'm almost wondering you know are you pushing to that point where you could almost see yourself you know working with vocals or incorporating uh you know contributions from others or maybe i should ask do you do you ever work with others when it comes to like that adderall canyonly material um no zero Mm -hmm. no one um, I mean, that's it's not, I, I guess it's a choice. Um, but I mean, I'd be, I'd be willing to open up doors. Do you want to be my diva, David? You can sing to me anytime. As long as you auto-tune um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I suppose one of the reasons that none of this stuff has any vocals, well, the most important reason, is that no one wants to hear me sing. But secondarily, <laughs> is that I don't have anything intelligent or important to say. So what would I sing about? Um, that could change in the future. Who knows? Um, but I don't really see either of those projects. Well, you know, there's a little bit of, of vocoder stuff. And some of that I see kids stuff. Mm-hmm. Being ridiculous. But I... No, that would be that would be a big step. I doubt almost make it to... I want to say important, but um, too full of itself. I mm-hmm. think that stuff's already full of itself. <laughs> no need to uh, tie it down. <laughs> some ch- <laughs> some corny drivel <laughs> and then crooning over it. <laughs> That's not my style. But thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, with the last uh, Oxy Kitten release, it was called Escape from New Amsterdam. And we actually started off the beginning of the show with a track from that. Um, you had kind of mentioned this earlier on that like the artwork and stuff often you feel like you're making tapes to fill in the artwork or for a release and I'm almost wondering with a with a release like that when you had Escape from New Amsterdam was this do you have this sort of fictitious or cinematic scenario in, in mind when you're kind of setting out to record things even a, like as Oxy Kitten? I would say not at I would not at at the onset. I feel like uh, the way I work is that I'm looking at lots of sketches of things. And as things coalesce and become more fleshed out, you start to separate them into piles. And then once you get two or three things, they start to make like a, like a run in cards. Or they start to make, like literally, they, they start to make a narrative and then um, you kind of get to sort of, well, at least the way I work, you know, I, with a lot of the Adderall Kenley stuff, it's more of taking the album view instead of maybe the, the singles or the collection view. So, and that's probably, I would say it's probably unconscious, but I would like to listen to music from one, from the beginning to the end and sense a theme personally. So I, to a certain degree, I try to do that myself. But I feel like once you get a sort of critical density of things, um, that narrative does emerge 
and then you build around it. It's not necessarily visual, but sure. it's a mood that I suppose starts informing the other tracks like a <laughs> like a virus, <laughs> yeah. like an algae bloom. And pretty soon, it, it starts to run out of control. Right. Well, it's, a, it's hard. Kind of like being a documentarian, like you're you're recording footage and recording footage, and then you kind of step back and piece it out, look at what you have, and say, okay. I, I do sense a, a narrative thread here that I can run with, and it sounds like that's kind of certainly. like how you go about recording, right? Yeah, certainly. Well, I would say that's, yes, recording. I would say it's half editing, just like you know, like documentary work or in any editing suite. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yeah, the, the narrative takes over before you know it, and you're kind of off to the races. Sure. Well, we're gonna we're gonna play something from I guess what we could dub your last full length release. This thing, uh, this one out on Debacle. But I guess before I play something from that, um, do you have some things that you can mention at this uh, stage? Uh, forthcoming releases from Adderall Canyonly or Oxy Kitten? Well, there is an album that's coming out on Moss Archive um, after this first run of the year. I think they're putting out two tapes maybe next week. And then maybe the, the months following that. Um, let's see. There is another album floating around. I don't know where that's going. Uh, for Adderall Canley. But at this stage, um, I'm actually in the middle of working on a couple different releases for both slowly. Now, there will be some in the future, um, but right now I'm just doing some uh, follow-up tracking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm polishing that turd. <laughs> I keep polishing. Now, have you, do you ever play, I mean, do you play out at all with Adderall Canyonly material? I mean, is, are you strictly a recording project, or do you ever go out and play live? David, I would rather go to the dentist <laughs> and play out. Um, in this world, there's a separation sometimes between artists, no, between, I would say, performers and musicians. I may sometimes consider myself a musician, but I'm certainly not a performer. I don't think I've played out since 2002. That's just not something I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So we, we I ain't got time for that. You got time for that. <laughs> we, yeah, we don't expect the, uh, the Adderall Canyonly uh, West Coast tour anytime soon, hitting all the small towns no. near you. No. But, you know, I can tell you what, if you do, if you do see one, it's an imposter, <laughs> not me. That would be hilarious, though. <laughs> I would go see a uh, Mad Can imposter band, certainly. You'd see me in the audience front row. <laughs> There you go. Anybody out there wants to do an Adderall Canyonly tribute band at the uh, local hair, <laughs> hair metal bar? <laughs> two, oh. two for ones. So, well, uh, should we get into? Let's get into some of this stuff uh, from the this debacle release again. This is Adderall Canyonly. Thanks a lot, Dylan, uh, for your time. No problem. Anytime. Thank you. 
All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Foxy Podcast. Again, we want to thank Dylan for taking the time to speak with us on this week's show. If you head over to our website at freeformfreakout.com, you can check out the complete playlist along with uh, scoping out the various links and things to get you some of these field hem releases or Adderall Canyon Lee and OxyKitten things as well. But if, in the meantime, if you have any questions for me, you can shoot me an email at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Otherwise, check back with us in just a few weeks. We do have some standard shows kind of in the works along with a few other feature things as well. So as always, thanks for tuning in.